there's a town in Missouri called Humansville, Missouri. Yeah. And it sounds like the aliens crash landed there and we're like, we need to blend in. What should we call our town? Humansville. We're totally humans. We're totally, Don't worry about that it. That should be their tagline. <laughs> Humansville. We're totally humans. <laughs> Have you ever watched uh, the show Community? Yes. yes. The Greendale human yep, beings. The human beings. Uh, <laughs> it's the best mascot. It's like my one of my all-time favorite shows same i love, I love it i love it try not bed in the morning see we should have a intro like that yeah why don't we have an intro like that that's yeah or the uh the spanish rap yeah we should have that for sure da, well, da, 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 a biblioteca, biblioteca. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know the words yeah. to it anyway well, this podcast is going great already. Mm-hmm. Uh, Should we start the intro again? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Respond Worship Podcast. My name is Jeremiah. And my name is Ryan. The Respond Worship Podcast is an auditive extension of the Respond Worship Retreat, um, which happens at the first weekend of every February each year in um, Everton, Missouri, in, in Everton, Missouri at Maranatha Bible camp. Yep. Yes. And so, uh, the respond worship retreat, it exists to serve worship teams in these ways. It exists to, uh, inspire worship ministries for greater effectiveness to instruct teams in worship skills and to ignite a community of worship teams. And that's what we're doing here today and every day on the podcast. Correct. Well, today we are going to continue our journey through Zach Hicks' book, The Worship Pastor, and we're going to start on chapter three today. Yes, chapter three. Well, um, we're not starting on chapter three. We but. are We are starting our discussion on chapter yes, three. Yes, that's what I... Continuing a, our discussion yes. from the past chapters. Good job, Ryan. Yeah. Normally, we don't jump in this fast, um, but this is such a just jam-packed chapter full of a lot of really good stuff. Normally we also do a, a ministry resource. Yes. Ministry yes. resource. Um, but this week we're specifically leaving that toward the end because it's going to have to do with what we talk about today. Yep. So you won't, you won't want it now as badly as you'll want it later. <laughs> so there we go. Just so listen till the end and you'll, you'll get the great resource that we have for you today. Yeah. Um, so this chapter, chapter three is called, the worship pastor as doxological philosopher. Yes. That's a big, big that's, couple of words. That's like 17 vowels. Yeah. Vowels? Syllables. There we go. There we go. <laughs> 17 there are syllables. lots of vowels in it, but. Yeah. Lot, lots of those Mostly two. O's. Yeah. Um, but here's, here's what I like about this chapter. Um, I'm the, I'm a very logic minded person. I'm the son of an engineer and an accountant. So like, all of the like structure and things you can put around something as vague and hard to pin down as worship ministry. Mm-hmm. Like is the more of those you can do, the better. So the big question this chapter answers is uh, how do you make decisions in your worship ministry? Right. Yeah. Are they sporadic or are they are, are they truly informed? Yeah. What guides it? What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so at the start of this chapter, again, let me, let me back up and preface this, which I've said, I think every podcast, if you are a worship minister, this is for you. If you serve at a church, this is for you mm-hmm. in, in any way, especially in and around the worship ministry that could be on stage. That could be as a person in the tech team, any way 
that you serve at a church, especially in worship ministry, this is for you. Right. This is also for you if you haven't read the book. We're using all these chapters as a basis to start a discussion that's going to help um, us carry out God's mission for our church mm-hmm. um, and help us be better leaders in whatever area we're called to. Right. And we, we hope that this furthers a conversation with you as well. Yeah. And uh, we would still love to to hear from you. So email us at respond or at podcast at respondworship.org. There we go. Yes. I'll get yeah. it one of these days. I'll never get it. Yeah. Well, well I'll try. Podcast but I'll... at respondworship.org. Yeah. Email us there uh, with your questions, comments, concerns, ministry wins. Yeah. Anything that we can uh, just interact with you in this. Yeah. But please send us your ministry wins. Yes. And more specifically, you can write us like a little blurb of your ministry win. Also, we would absolutely love if you would send us an audio recording, like two, three mm-hmm. minutes of your ministry win, and we will throw that probably in the podcast, unless it's full of like vulgar things. I don't know how it'd be a ministry win. And true. It, it takes some work to do those simultaneously, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. uh, So this chapter starts off with, I think one of my favorite quotes around this topic, which is really funny because it's from Frederick Nietzsche, Nietzsche. Yeah. Nietzsche. He was an atheistic, nihilistic philosopher if you don't know what nihilistic means, uh, that's fine. Um, but he said, <laughs> you would know what nihilistic means in your most oppressive state in yeah. the darkest room. Yeah. Having no hope for humanity. Think of a philosophy that you could define as just sad. That's yeah. about where yeah, you're there at. There we go. Anyway. Like, like, uh, what's that, that movie, the Pixar movie, uh, with all the emotions. Oh, inside uh, out. Inside out. So yeah, that just think of so sad. Good. Yeah, think just of think, that. Just think of sad, and that's yeah. There we go. <laughs> yep. Um, so he has this. Uh, Zach Hicks puts his quote at the top of this chapter, and uh, Frederick says this: "He who has a why to live can bear almost any how." Yeah. Yeah. That that I've seen a lot of churches address this issue as like we need a a vision and a mission statement. We need core values, and all that stuff's valuable. And that's kind of the thing we're going to talk about mm-hmm. today. Kind of. But this is not your standard church growth strategy, mission on the wall, whatever. Um, this can be a little more in-depth, sometimes a little more heady, sometimes a little more practical. Anyway, it's it's going to be that kind of thing. But what a lot of those things try to do, those strategies that a church can take, is they try to give you vision, something that drives you, some goal that you're chasing, some something like that. That's your why. Right. To live. That's your why to be doing this ministry. Something that you can gauge everything yeah. else on. Like it's a, just a good foundation. Yeah. Yeah. Having a why for something is so important. I've seen a lot of churches that I've been a part of the past five or six years. Um, if they do like a capital campaign, we want to raise all this money to do this. They really sell the why. And that really drives them getting more resources from their congregation to do that thing. Right. Um, So I was a part of a church trying to pay off their debt and their why was so that they could get invested in another building project and advance some of their ministries that were flourishing, but running out of space. So like you're dreaming about someday we will have this goal of, Oh, we will have reached our goal of being able to minister to these kids in an upward program, upward sports program, and have more families on our church property so that they're familiar with our church property. It's not scary. And then maybe they'll come to church one day. Yeah. 
stuff like that. That's the why that drives him. And so I love that that quotes at the top of this, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, we're, we're diving in to the yeah. doxological that's, philosopher. That's a great way to start. Yeah. So those, those two words, those might be kind of scary for you. So, uh, we kind of wanted to maybe break them down a little bit. Those two words, doxological and philosopher. Um, so philosophy, uh, it, this is, this is a quote directly from the book. So I'll just kind of, I'll just read through it and then we'll, we'll break it down from there. But philosophy might sound like something for intellectuals and professionals, professional theologians, but philosophers are just people who ask why. Yeah. Who ask why. And worship leaders who take their pastoral role seriously must start asking why about everything they do in worship. And I would, I, yeah, just worship leaders in general, um, pastoral, yeah. pastoral leaders in general, not just worship leaders, but yeah. we should constantly be asking the why question. Uh, worship pastors are not content to do things just because we've always done it that way, um, which is itself a philosophy traditionalism. Nor should we mindlessly follow the latest fad or idea simply because it works. Uh, another philosophy, which is pragmatism. Uh, we may be practical thinkers, but we cannot let pragmatis, pragmatics, there we go, <laughs> drive our decision making. We need to think, reflect, and prayerfully apply what we believe. Being a pastor means that our doxology, which is our worship, should be informed by our philosophy. A worship pastor is a doxological philosopher. Yeah. So philosophy, what you just said, that quote you just read, is basically saying we're asking the question why. And trying to answer that. What's the basis, the foundation for why we're gathering on a Sunday morning? That's the simplest uh, way to put it. And then doxology is the other word, the doxological philosopher or a philosopher of doxology. Um, so that's more simply put, doxology is worship. So doxo is praise, giving mm-hmm. praise. Yeah, like praise like to God. Yeah. Yep. And ology, think like all of the ology words, mm-hmm. archaeology. I almost said Scientology. That's a whole different route. Um, but all the ology, <laughs> the theology, words, right? theology yeah, yeah. it's like the study of, or the, the, yeah. yeah. Like, like just kind of living in that world. It doesn't mean you need to read a book on it. And that's like how you ology something. Right. But, but it's like the, the idea pool of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, so we worship philosophers. Uh, he, he, Zach could have called this chapter, the worship philosopher. But I think, I think the word doxology fits better. It has that like study connotation to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's, here's why I really love this chapter. Um, worship ministry in, in a lot of our contexts is expected to be largely musical. Um, it's, it's so prone to super strong preferences about our music and whatever. And it's really difficult to gauge for success as a ministry. This is what I just said when I was talking about how logic brain and whatever, it's like, it's hard. It's hard to gauge like if that Sunday was a win or not, Mm -hmm. if you don't have a philosophy of worship. Right. And if it's, if it's all about congregational reaction and approval, then like, okay, you have your gauge, you see how they react. And if they approve of the service you did, but if, if our worship ministry is a spiritual ministry of the church with spiritual and transformational goals, how do you gauge success then from one weekend to another? Mm. How, how do you say that last Sunday was definitely a win in our spiritual ministry aimed at spiritual and transformational goals in our people? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ryan, that's a good question to ask. How do you gauge success from one weekend to another? 
And Zach Hicks has a quote that uh, will kind of lead into our next section here. Um, a doxological philosopher who has a pastoral heart develops convictions and operates out of them, but is always sensitive to how the application of that philosophy is interacting with the church. And so the philosophy that we have or the way that we gauge success, this is really um, how we're interacting with uh, the people in our church. And so... Um, it's, it's probably good to kind of go through some examples of worship ministry yeah. uh, situations. Uh, I guess you can, you could coin them as problems in some regard or another, but um, so Zach at the beginning of the chapter, he has a bunch of different examples of like things that have happened. Like people have come up to him and asked him questions and, and how he's, you know, asked the question, like, how would you interact with this? And mm-hmm. so uh, here, here's the first one. And I guess maybe we could talk about how we would, approach the yeah. situation yeah. and then maybe give a couple of examples of how we would approach these situations. Um, because the way we approach these situations, they stem from our philosophy or yeah. stem from, you know, the foundation that we have as to, as to how we're directing people back to the mission or vision or however you want to put it. Um, so here, here is the, uh, is, is one of the examples that he gives. So you're sitting in a team meeting with other leaders in your church the person who helps lead your Christian education and discipleship program says worship is going really well, but we need to beef up our education so that we can, so that we can make disciples who are really in the word. I recommend that we shorten our worship services by 15 minutes so that we have more time to do what Jesus called us to do, which is make disciples. My first comment to that is ouch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh it's really tough. I think with all these ministry problems or, or examples of situations like this that Zach pushes and that, um, and that we're going to talk about in a little bit, it's all people trying to redirect the worship ministry Yeah, because they think they know how it should be done, which is why you need the defense of a good worship ministry philosophy. Um, but this is a really tough one because it's like, oh, if I say, no, we shouldn't, um, then I don't want to, as they finish their statement with, do what Jesus called us to do, make disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, so it's hard to answer this without a specific worship ministry philosophy. Right. But I think if your worship ministry philosophy had an answer for why worship is important, why it's formative mm-hmm. more than just uh, expressive, mm-hmm. um it could help answer this. So right, yeah, because this question is assume is assuming that we are not fulfilling the Great Commission. It seems like the problem they set up is we're not doing what Jesus called us to do in making disciples. Mm-hmm. The solution is um, to get more people really in the Word by doing something else with fifteen minutes of our service. Mm-hmm. Is the problem of not making disciples well enough, either deep enough or enough disciples? a word-based problem. Mm -hmm. That's a philosophy. Yeah. That is a philosophy of like, they don't know enough or they haven't meditated enough on God's word. That is the only solution. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the only solution. Right. Um, I, I later we'll talk about things that Zach wants you to consider as you're making a worship philosophy. But one of them is what role does scripture play in your worship service? Um, if scripture plays a big part in it, I don't know why you would need to shorten your service to get more scriptural or whatever. There's totally ways to use more of your service to meditate on scripture, whether it's a song that is a quotation of scripture, a song that helps you reflect on a scripture that you read 
times of prayerful reflection on a scripture that you read, call and response scriptures. Mm-hmm. There's you can have somebody present a scripture with urgency. I don't know what better way to say that, but yeah. like, I have some people with theater majors um, who just get up there, either memorize the scripture or pretty well memorize it, hold the Bible in front of them and present it like it matters, right. like it means something. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know why I'm getting so defensive over oh, this fictional no, person. Great. I'm just like, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's, he's implying a lot of things. She or she, yeah. <laughs> he I'm or she is implying a lot of things. This fictional person, um, who may not necessarily be so fictional. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the first thing they say is worship is going really well. Well, that's implying that worship is only music, probably. I think like so. The music, they're yeah. saying, oh, your music is great, is not, man. Your music worship is, great. is not word because yeah. there's not enough word. Exactly. Um, so my first, the way I would approach this person, I'd be like, well, okay, so you want 15 extra minutes in the service. How is this 15 minutes going to influence the discipleship making process um, yeah. in our church? You know, just kind of, I want to hear their heart. Um, as to why they even brought this up in the first place. And they may have a great idea. Yeah, they might. And so when you hear that response, then you can be like, oh, then you can redirect and be like, okay, well, this is how, so what you're saying, this is how it actually fits into our philosophy of worship. And this is how we're doing it through our ministry. And if you don't feel like we are doing that well enough, maybe we can work together Right. Yeah. To try to formulate a plan to to make this happen the way that you're seeing it. That's such a good answer. I think, I think, yeah, that's a good solution how can we make this fit within our worship service? If, if there's a good need and a good potential answer, I think also it could be that they just don't understand what a worship service is. Yeah. So saying like, we should shorten it by 15 minutes so we could help them get more in the word. Well, why don't we just reorient 15 minutes or whatever? Right. Well, they like, were just, hopefully they were yeah. just in the word for about 30 to 45 minutes, you know, yeah. before the 15 minutes that you're wanting to tag in at yeah. the end of the, of the, of the lesson, you know? So, um, and there's lots of other avenues within the church, Sunday school, home groups, you know, yeah. other, other ways that we can grow in the word together. Just 15 minutes on a Sunday morning is not going to do much for people. Yeah. And so that's why, that's why I'd want to address it that way is be like, well, I hear your heart and I see what you're saying, but like there's probably a more constructive way of, of handling this. Yeah. And if you don't feel like our ministry is fulfilling this in a certain way, well, let's, let's talk about that. Let's try to figure yeah. it out. Yeah. I really love that answer, which is why I want to give you an issue. Uh, I don't know. I, one of these situations where somebody tries to redirect the worship ministry from my own experience and see how you would answer it before I say how I answered it. I want to see if, if you have a much more brilliant answer than I did, cause you might based on that. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Okay. Uh, so here's mine. Um, there was a, a man who attended the traditional service at a church I was a part of. Um, and he has to meet with me in my office over the course of an hour. He pleaded with me to have our team sing in four part harmony all the time, because otherwise he didn't know if he's supposed to sing or if it's special music. Hmm. Interesting. Hit me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would just ask him like, well, like, like what's your background? Like, why do you think that? Like maybe yeah. he was at a church of Christ before and that's what they always did, you know, just like trying to kind of figure out his history as to why he thinks, um, this should be done. Spoiler the way. alert. He was. Okay. Well, cool. Well, so there I we did go. ask that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But so yeah. yeah, there's a lot we can assume from that response from that person. Um, so after we assess that, we kind of, 
we hear their heart a little bit behind the reason why they want to do that and be like, well, you know, we try to uh, work in harmonies within the songs that we have, but a lot of the contemporary worship music today doesn't really call for a lot of those harmony parts. Um, and so I don't know that that might be kind of where I start. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe within a few songs that we have on a Sunday morning within hymns and stuff like that, we can try to incorporate more harmony. I don't know. It's probably not really an answer, but I would just, those yeah. kind of conversations are so, um, fluid. It's kind of hard to, yeah, to know how I would respond or react in the moment. But. Oh yeah. And I, as I, as I asked you to address that, I've realized I didn't give you all the facts, which is going to make my answer seem so much better. <laughs> um, so we had a traditional service and contemporary services. So they were already split into like a more hymns centric okay, one and a more contemporary. Yeah. You just say traditional. So, but, um, yeah. But on top of that, we formerly had three service types, a traditional, a blended, which was kind of a 80s, 90s, early 2000s time capsule service, mm -hmm. and then a contemporary service. Um, and we didn't have enough people at the traditional to like use all of our ministers and volunteers for another service. Um, so we fused the traditional and the blended to make the classic service which I think is a brilliant name, by the mm -hmm. way, for that. Um, but so this guy, as as we're less than a year into fusing these two service types, he comes in and says this thing. So he's from the hymnal only, hymns only, piano and vocalists only service. Okay. And they are they are merging um with the blended service to create the class. Anyway, all that's going on. So he comes to my office and he says, Hey, I can't uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to sing because it's not four part harmony all the time and it's not help me out. It's like, you need to make a four part harmony all the time. Right. Fix it. <laughs> um, and here's what I told him. You guys, uh, you, you were from the traditional service and that whole group of people is merging with the blended service. You had a hymnal with your songs and it's also how you interacted with the music we sing on a Sunday morning. You mm -hmm. read it and then you sing it. This other group um, from the other service, I, I tried not to use a ton of you and them language, yeah. but but this other group from the other service, who's a part of our church, who we deeply love, they did not use hymnals. Mm. So when you learn music, you're singing from the heart music that you've heard your whole life, and you're reading it out of the hymnal. When they learn music, they can't read music. Mm -hmm. They just have to hear the melody of the song. Right. So... If you want, we're, we're making a new hymnal mm -hmm. for your joint service. Right. And it has some of the songs from your hymnal and has some of the songs from theirs. But as we're making this new hymnal, if you want them to learn your songs in this new joint hymnal, they have to learn them the only way they know how, which is hearing the melody. Mm -hmm. So we love harmonies, but we only, we, we try not to include them much at the beginning of the song to help give them a reference so they can learn the melody and participate along with you. And then um, as it gets further into the song, yeah, we might do more harmonies, but our sound guy might even keep the melody above the rest of those harmonies. So it won't sound like a Southern gospel group you've heard. It'll right. sound like a melody and some other singers kind of in the background. Yeah. And that's, again, to help them come along with the songs that you know and love mm -hmm. into this new hymnal that we're creating yeah. together. Yeah, that's a great answer. Now, that had a lot of specific information I didn't tell you. <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. So... um. 
but no, that that's was a, my, it's exactly what our church is. Yeah. I mean, we we have we call it the BCC hymnal, and yeah. it just I created a list on on Spotify, and this might be something you could do for your church. Yeah, it's just all the songs that you might potentially ever sing on a Sunday morning, just include them in a massive playlist, and that way you have a place to direct people. Be like, you know, these are the songs that our worship team believes that. Um, would really fulfill the mission um, and vision, um, support the values, um, support the the scripture that is being proclaimed on a Sunday morning. Like the, these are the songs that we believe um, can best support all those things. Yeah. And uh, so we're calling that our hymnal. So like, here you go. There's, there's yeah. a, a way that you can listen throughout the week and kind of get familiar with some of the music that we have so that when you do come in, you feel, you feel like you can participate more. Yeah. And that's a, Great, great, great idea. Um, okay, so you said you had you had a a problem or issue. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I don't know if it was really a problem or an issue, but it was just something that yeah. that happened on Sunday morning. You know, afterwards, it was a lady who comes from a a very a more of a charismatic tradition, and uh, you know where where we talked about where music is very much their heart language. It's like that's exact, yeah. that's where they find God mo- more often. This if you want to hear more about that, check out the last episode on chapter two of the worship pastor called the something. <laughs> called the corporate mystic. Yeah, there corporate we go. Mystic, right. That is the last one. Um, that helps address some of the um, charismatic focus mm-hmm. or the sacramental focus. Anyway. Okay. Right. Yeah. So that was her background where music is just, it's very important avenue for her to worship and to connect with God. And so she had a lot of songs that she yeah. wanted to give me. So she just, she handed me this list of songs. It was like six or eight songs and was like, you know, these are the songs that, that I love. And I think that we should really do in church. I was like, great. Well, I, I really want to, um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to take these home. I'm going to listen to them and I'm going to really consider them. Um, but also I'd like to, I'd love to get coffee. I mean, that's like yeah. my, one of my yeah, biggest, yeah, yeah. like my, the one response I love to say is just like, Hey, I'd love to get coffee and just talk to you about these songs and like yeah. why they mean so much to you. And, uh, so yeah, we got coffee and we, we talked through, you know, those songs and more songs, you know, things that she loved and be like, man, I, I really love your heart and all this. And, um, you know, there, there are the, the church that I came from, uh, my last ministry, I think I talked about it in previous episodes too. Um, most of the songs were set for the Sunday morning because it was between multiple campuses. And so they wanted yeah. the music to be yeah. um, similar between all those. Um, so the best response I could give her was like, you know, well, maybe we'll have a worship night and we can include some of these songs or, um, maybe we can, uh, you know, talk to the the main worship pastor and maybe have him try to consider some of these songs yeah. for a Sunday morning. You know, it was, it, I didn't, I didn't want to feel like I was blowing her off. Um, yeah. but I think just having that connection time over coffee and talking through it, um, really helped her in that moment. And, and we did have a worship night where I incorporated a couple of those songs and she was really grateful for that. Um, but she wasn't like upset that I didn't re, you know, introduce all those songs yeah. in the next Sunday morning or something, you know, that's, so. that's one of my favorite. And I think the most powerful responses I've seen to people who come to you and maybe with the best heart they possibly can wanting to redirect the worship ministry. Yeah. Um, is, is getting to know them. Cause there's always the move to redirect the worship ministry. This is the tangential surface level problem I see. And I'd love you to fix it in this way. Well, there's definitely undercurrents in their past, in their, their own experience in church or conferences or camp when they were a kid or whatever that are playing into them telling you that and the best strategy is always to get to know them a little better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I, I honestly don't know of a worship minister who hasn't had that happen. Right. Somebody's like, Hey, I'd see uh, you've been uh, doing your job, but here's songs you need to start doing <laughs> like they're your boss or something. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It, it, depending on who it is and what tone they use, it sometimes really ticks me off. Cause I'm like, <laughs> you have no idea the work I put into this. And I'm right. like, I, I want to get defensive in that moment, but like they, it's, it's just them seeing how powerful this ministry can be in the past mm-hmm. in a different context and just wanting that same thing now. So usually their heart's great behind it. Yeah. Usually. Um, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a, that's a tough problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's really sensitive for a lot of people too. These are the best songs I know. Yeah. We should start doing them. No, they're not. Oh, uh, like, like you can't just shoot them down. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. I had a guy, I'm not even going to try to solve, give an answer. <laughs> I'm just going to say, I had a guy stop me in Walmart a month into working at the church I worked at last. Um, he was like the guy over the self checkout area and he stopped me in Walmart. Didn't introduce himself. I didn't know who he was. He said, Hey, I go to the middle service cause I don't, I, I don't wake up for the early service, but I want you to start doing some older songs for the middle service. Like specifically these bands. And it's like Michael W. Smith, which is fine. Like, uh, and then like uh, Petra, I don't know. <laughs> Something like, like I was like, um, I'll think about it. And I left, I, I'd had a no good answer for that. Um, but that's a good reason to have a worship ministry philosophy. Yeah, exactly. I, I love how in the original quote about philosophy and philosophers, how um, he names a few, and I think it'd be a good to stop for a moment and name a few philosophies of, of worship ministry that people have I've okay. I'm going to preface this word. I added a word and it sounds really antagonistic. (laughs) I'm calling this section ignorant worship ministry philosophies. (laughs) Now, okay. This isn't me saying bad or stupid or anything. Worship ministry philosophies. This is me saying, if you haven't thought about it, you might have one of these worship ministry philosophies. Like you haven't taken the time to dig in and think like, what is a good or the best or the most godly worship ministry philosophy. You're just kind of operating on autopilot. Facebook rant worship ministry philosophies. I, I just said autopilot and I feel like that's the least antagonistic way I can say <laughs> it. Go. So, okay. Autopilot worship ministry philosophies. Uh, I'm going to delete the word ignorant. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm not trying to start a fight. Autopilot worship ministry philosophies. Okay. He named two traditionalism. We've always done it this way. And, uh, this often ran into with, um, people who had been in that more traditional service at that church, we've always done it this way. Mm -hmm. They had been doing it that way longer than the contemporary service. People had been doing it that way. So they were the only ones who could even say that. Um, But a lot of times it was like, Hey, you need to play more hymns. Mm -hmm. I I don't normally love people just telling me that, but we were in a church that had a service already committed to doing that kind of thing. So I said, okay. So I pulled out some songs from the 1400s, some songs from the <laughs> 1700s, and they didn't love that. Mm-hmm. They were like, you didn't do any hymns this week. And I said, I did only hymns. I don't know what you're talking about. And they said, no, those weren't in our hymnal. Oh, so you're not talking about the genre hymn. You're talking about specific songs. You're talking about <laughs> yeah. the songs I like. Yeah. The songs that I grew up with. Right. That's different. So that's traditionalism. It mm-hmm. isn't like we need hymns because we think the deepest truths about God are the places he's most present. Mm-hmm. It's it's just we want hymns because we grew up on them. 
so give us hymns. Right. That's traditionalism. We've always done it that way. There's yeah. and there was a lot of that that happened within the COVID season. Oh yeah. Where people, I heard the response, "I can't wait till things get back to normal." Yeah. You know? And I'm still hearing that in in different avenues, but um, but yeah, that's that's definitely a sign of traditionalism. Like, yeah, hey, that's we, a great point. We. Uh, we need to be okay with change and yeah. uh, embrace it and, and let it be what it is. Yeah. No, you're super right. That was a great point that, yeah, it's hard to go to online church when there's a pandemic threatening the world. Right. And you're like, but why can't I just go back and see everybody? And, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, another, another philosophy he mentions is pragmatism. He, this is his quote mindlessly following the latest fad or simple idea simply because it works. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, a philosophy I've, I've seen, I think more often in bigger churches, mm-hmm. this isn't saying that if you're in a big church, this is happening, but if somebody is trying to grow their worship ministry, but is not thinking about it as a ministry or, or maybe not thinking about it at all, but more like not, not, giving specific attention to that. They could fall into pragmatism where it's like, um, how did Sunday go? Well, I thought that this was too loud in the house and this, uh, my guitar went flat. So I really didn't like that. So I need to buy a new locking tuners to make that not happen. Mm -hmm. That's pragmatism. Yeah. That's not bad. But if that is the only and sole driving force of your worship ministry, you might be leading a non-spiritual worship ministry. Right which is dangerous and you should wake up. (laughs) Um, uh, anyway, but, um, yeah, I've just, I've, I've seen a a handful of those things. I saw, um, there was a worship ministry, uh, where I went to college where a guy used Ableton. So you can do just about anything through Ableton. He used Ableton to automate absolutely everything for every song in the service. Um, and honestly, every part of the service. So the soundboard was moving its own faders itself. The light board was shining the light on the guy doing the solo because it was programmed to do that. Mm-hmm. And the slides were going at the right time and whatever, because he just did not trust people, um, especially tech people in a tech booth who were just volunteers. Right. And they wouldn't be up to his standards. And um, and he had tracks with other instruments in there and whatever. Not all that's a hit on him. but what I got from my, from other people talking about him who knew him longer was that he was always trying to solve the next problem. And it was a very pragmatic philosophy for his worship ministry. Hmm. Um, and it's weird for the next guy to walk in, not know how to do any of that and slowly watch it. A lot of his technical work crumble as this guy did more pastoral stuff with his team, more pastoral stuff for the congregation whatever. So that, that was pragmatism. Yeah. And I think another way that we can look at this, um, Brene Brown talks a lot about scarcity Yeah, and how that's an issue within our culture. And I, th- I think that's an issue within our worship culture as well. Um, cause whenever you're looking at the latest fads or like the latest trends in worship music, um, or we have all these live stream platforms now where we can go watch another church or YouTube and see all these, um, worship bands that are making all these music, um, and have all of the bells and whistles, all the yeah. lights, all the smoke and mirrors kind of stuff. Like when we don't have that, that's what we want. And there's, there's something that's scarce in our, in our lives there. And so we're, we're trying to achieve that over yeah. and over and over again. 
I, I hate to admit it, but the amount my heart fluttered when I found out that Hillsong or Elevation or one of them at one point had attached a laser to the bottom of their handheld wireless microphones so that it, it could, it was like a distance measuring thing, a tool. And if you walked more than a foot and a half away from your mic, it would mute your mic. Oh, wow. I was like the, the amount my, my heart just beat inside my chest harder. Cause I was thrilled. I was, I'm like sad to admit it. <laughs> it's like, that'd be so cool. How much is it? Thousands of dollars. Oh, I oh, bet it's no. worth it. Like I was so like foaming at the mouth. Cause I was like, wow, that's all so many, that, that solving problems is not the issue, but yeah. if you never think about anything else, pragmatism can be the driving force here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time here right, longer right, than right. this, but a few other ones from last episode, corporate mystic, we talked about where different traditions um, that we see today in the, in American churches, where they find God, those are philosophies. So there's the experientialism, emotionalism philosophy God's presence is in song and euphoric experience. Mm-hmm. That's generally charismatic churches. Right. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. But if you don't think about it, sometimes on autopilot, you can think we need more and bigger and greater euphoric experiences in musical worship because we do, mm-hmm. because that's the important work we're doing. Um, it's not bad, mm-hmm. but if you don't have any other philosophy, yeah, that's all you're going to be left with is trying to chase that um, right. sacramentalism for high church traditions, Lutheran, Anglican, Catholic, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, God's presence is in rituals like communion and baptism. That's great. If that's all you're doing, though, if you're going on autopilot and thinking that's that's all we need to do is is make communion and baptism bigger and better because that's the only important thing we're doing. Well, no. Um, and then and then there's like the more heady Baptist um, they're not the only ones, but, uh, the educationalist intellectualism kind of philosophy, God's presence is in the expression and transmission of deep or true ideas about God. So we need to shorten the service by 15 minutes so we can do more word right. stuff <laughs> or like we only, we, we should only sing hymns cause they are the deepest songs. Okay. Why? Mm -hmm. Why is that the best thing to do? Why should you not sing like the Psalms, the Bible songbook? I'm not saying hymns are bad. I absolutely love hymns, but, but that kind of answer is like, oh, it's because intellectual educational stuff is the most valuable stuff to do. That's a philosophy of worship. Right. And, uh, yeah. And then probably the most dangerous one. And I just made this up. I like, didn't find it from his book at all. (laughs) It's preferentialism. That's just what I prefer. Or that's just what I like. Sometimes with the person who is handing you that list of songs that you need to start doing, sometimes it's, I've seen God work through this stuff and I want him to work through our church the same way. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's incredible. Sometimes it's, these are the songs I grew up on and this is what I prefer. So you need to start doing it. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. is not great. Yeah. That's, you don't need to fire that person from attending your church, but if anything, that's a giant red flag that you have some pastoral call to do some pastoral work in that person's life Mm -hmm. because church isn't a country club. Mm. It's not just about you getting your way and getting what you want out of it. Anyway. Yeah. We kind of glazed over this earlier when you were talking about pragmatism. Oh yeah. Um, But you said mindlessly following the latest fad or idea simply because it works. Yeah. That that phrase simply because it works. That's it. It kind of affects all of these aspects of things. It's not, it might work for one 
one congregation, but it's not going to work for another. Sort and of what thing. does work mean? Right. So, okay, two, th- two thoughts about this. One, I just said earlier in this podcast, how do you know if last Sunday was a win? Well, mm-hmm. it worked. Right. How did it work? Exactly. Well, <laughs> uh, it, it did what we always did. Well, that's traditionalism. Right. What does works mean? Right. What did it, what goal did it reach? You got to go back to your philosophy. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, the, the, because it works, because it's effective. Yeah. Um, go back and read the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, some really honestly nihilistic <laughs> <laughs> stories yeah. um, about these prophets who were called by God doom and gloom to tell people to turn because they were, they were sinning against God and they spent their whole lives following God's call to tell these people they were wrong and that danger was coming if they didn't turn around and change what they were doing. And then they died. Mm-hmm. That wasn't effective. Wouldn't it have been more effective to like maybe take out some of the doom stuff or maybe entice them over to what God No, God didn't call him to be effective. God called him to, to preach mm-hmm. and to be prophetic about telling them to turn to be his mouthpiece, right. even though they didn't listen. Yep. Is our worship ministry supposed to be effective? Uh, effective at what? Effective at uh, making people cry, mm-hmm. making people raise their hands. Is that what God called us to? Yeah. The more cries you get, the better you did. Mm-hmm. Uh Maybe? Yeah, and if you find people asking these questions a lot, then there might be a bigger issue within yeah. just the general mission vision of the church. Maybe people just don't understand like what your congregation's about and what yeah. what they're trying to accomplish. Because uh, yeah. that's where a lot of our worship ministry should stem from. Um, the idea is it should be shaped by our community and what our community is supposed to. Um, yeah. What you know, is our mission? What are, what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. the philosophy. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we've beat a dead horse. Is, hopefully, but, hopefully we did. Oh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I think that was a great thing to bring up. Um, Zach Hicks, we've talked about philosophy a lot. We've talked about kinds of philosophies, problems with it. Um, Zach Hicks has this quote from the book, what makes a worship leader a worship pastor is not having a philosophy of worship. It's owning it, taking the time to think through it. Mm-hmm. You, ha- having a useless philosophy is useless. It does nothing. <laughs> it helps no one. Um, so you have to do more. It has to be a thing that goes above your preferences, above effectiveness, above mere tradition, not like tradition is always bad, but above merely tradition, Mm -hmm. above all of it, trying to seek God through it. Um, I, so I'm going to give an example of a worship ministry philosophy I had um, at the church I was at before this to, to date, I've not made one at the church I'm at now. Um, but the one I had before, and this wasn't a Zach Hicks approved worship ministry philosophy. It was, it was one sentence versus what we're going to show you near the end. Um, my philosophy, I had a vision and mission separately. So the vision was what we, where we wanted our worship ministry to go was to present a clear view of Jesus. That's it. Mm -hmm. We can't make you worship Jesus. We can't make you love Jesus or want Jesus in the same way as Jeremiah. All we can do is present a clear view and leave you and him to do whatever you're going to do, leave you to reject him or not. Um, So we're, our, our goal was to present a clear view of Jesus. And the way we're going to do that is communicating scripture for the participation of the church. That's super short. Mm -hmm. That's portable. I put it on some coffee mugs. It was great. Um, (laughs) 
here's what that did for us. Um, so number one, it narrowed song selection because everybody thinks worship ministry is about music only. Mm-hmm. It narrowed song selection to songs communicating scripture and scriptural ideas and practices. So uh, a lot of I've heard a lot of people be like, oh, somebody told me that Bethel uh, believes some wacky stuff. Therefore, we should never do their songs again. Uh, one song I think you can do from Bethel forever is uh, poop is the song about the Lord's Prayer. Yep. They yeah, have a song that is just the Lord's, the Lord's Prayer. Prayer. Yeah. I'm what is sure, it though? I'm pretty sure it's called Lord's Prayer, isn't it? It's called Our Father. There we, oh, go. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called Our Father. If you think that Bethel believes weird stuff so you can't do Our Father, you're missing out on a song that is only repeating scripture mm-hmm. from Matthew 6. That's yep. that's silly to me. So we we existed to present a clear view of Jesus by communicating scripture. So that narrowed down our songs. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do random songs that have nothing to do with scripture. Right. We're not going to do songs you heard on the radio because you like it, because it's fun. We'll do it because we think it's communicating scripture in some way. Right. Um, another way this, uh, this philosophy uh, changed our worship ministry is it encouraged practices outside of just songs. So that we could shift attention away from worship being about songs mm-hmm. to worship being a ton of stuff about something else, specifically about Jesus as the object of our worship. Mm. So I tried to do a whole lot of like prayer prompt things and the whole scripture reading list I gave earlier, like call and response and having somebody read it with urgency and whatever. Right. Uh, we tried to do a lot of that stuff so that you wouldn't be like, worship was great today. I loved the band. And, and that be it. Um, yeah. Cause we're, we're trying to help present a clear view of Jesus, not cool music. Right. And music can be an Avenue, but we didn't want it to be the only Avenue. Um, and then last thing. So the, it was a present a clear view of Jesus by communicating scripture for the participation of the church mm. for mm-hmm. the participation part. Um, so we used a metronome and I, <laughs> I very, uh, very confidently, have a, a theology of why you should use a metronome on Sunday morning. If you have a band, if it's just you, whatever, like you can get away with it. Um, I think you should use a metronome on Sunday morning because it helps make the musical part of worship the easiest to participate with as it can possibly be. Hmm. We've all been in a service where somebody start a song way too fast and nobody has the guts to just stop the song or slow it down super hard. So you're just blazing through the song and nobody can follow it. Mm-hmm. Or it's too slow and you're just like running out of breath trying to keep up because all the notes are held out super long and it's just like, it's too slow. Mm-hmm. So we use a metronome and that helped to make it easy to participate with. Um, we lowered, like I said before, lowered harmonies in the house and live stream mix to help people hear the melody of the song easier. That's how they participate. And then we, uh, we reined in ad-libbed vocals. That's where it's like, uh, who the sun sets free. You're like, just like barfing (laughs) notes all over the place. Um, it can be that sometimes. So we reined in ad-lib vocals, uh, to just be things that we thought could be used to lead the congregation musically. Mm -hmm. So if I'm gonna, if I was going to hold out the last note, the last word of a bridge, I might try to raise that note up a little bit to kind of trigger in their mind, Hey, something's different about this and then hold it out. Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm going to have a longer instrumental, 
I'm going to back away from the mic so they can visually see that I'm not about to sing that next verse mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, if, uh, sometimes if you're tagging a, a chorus or a bridge or something, altering the melody and, and, uh, finishing that tagline on a six chord, a six minor chord can help make sure everybody knows you're tagging it. Mm-hmm. That, that kind of stuff. Or like singing part of the, the words to the upcoming section before it shows up, all those ad lib things. I was like, those are great. That's some like straight black gospel kind of stuff mm-hmm. that they'll do that. I think super helpful and a good leadership move, Yeah, but just like random, like soloing over it so that you look cool. I wasn't about that. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. That was my worship ministry philosophy that I use there, but it's not Zach Hicks approved. I have to say, <laughs> well, I have a similar non-approved by Zach Hicks philosophy. Uh, maybe it would, I mean, maybe ours would be approved by him. We don't maybe. know. We don't Mine's know that personally. So, yeah. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the most concise way to illustrate my philosophy of worship leading, um, is through a mnemonic device of all things, uh, eat E A T. Um, so my whole philosophy behind this is that our congregation, they're hungry to eat, um, every time yeah. that we meet. And so, um, they, our worship services should be constructed in a way that feed our congregation well um, with solid food, not like junk food. We're not putting people on a like a Mountain Dew and Doritos diet and sending yeah. them out. You know, like I don't want to do that. Um, I want to give them something to to really chew on throughout the week and something that's going to be nourishing and healthy for them. And that's biblical because of Hebrews six. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Um, so, um, the first word in this eat mnemonic device is edifying. Um, yeah. our worship services should be edifying as a whole. Um, but especially within our sung worship. Um, so everything that we do, um, within our music, it should, like you were, like you were talking before, you know, connecting specifically to scripture. Like that's, yeah. that's something that we need because that helps everything to be more edifying within the worship service as a whole. Um, even in our thematic worship planning, um, making sure that our songs are connecting to that theme well and to the scripture that's going to be really driving that theme that morning. Um, uh, even in aspects of our creative arts ministry, um, uh, you know, spoken word, dramas, videos, um, even down to the lighting, cause lighting is like used as scene changes for a lot of things. Um, yeah. like if you think about it, it's, it's kind of like opening and closing a veil of sorts. Um, so, I mean, there's lots of creative ways that you can use, um, lighting to evoke emotion and evoke, um, just emphasis towards certain aspects of, of things. So um, just really making sure that you're thinking down to the wire of how we are using every aspect of, um, of what we can to edify our congregation. Yeah. Um, and for those of you triggered by the words to evoke emotion or applauding at the words to evoke emotion, uh, wait for chapter 13, the worship pastor is emotional shepherd <laughs> bombs about to drop in, Oh, I don't know, like five months or whenever we get there. While, but. Yeah. It's going to be a minute, but <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah. All right. So we have edifying, um, teaching our congregation well through, through every means that we can. Yeah. Love um, it. and then a w- would be authentic being authentic. So authenticity, authenticity is, um, uh, it's, it's vitally important to the health of our church. 
I mean, the more that we are vulnerable from our platform, the easier it will be for others to connect with us on a real level, which makes us approachable. Because uh, yeah. a lot of people see us on a pedestal, right? Like they yeah. don't want to approach us. And so the more that we're vulnerable from the stage, the more that we're being authentic, um, people are going to, they're going to feel more comfortable with us. They're going to want to come to the table and eat each week. Um, so yeah. just making sure that we, um, that we're authentic from the stage. So um, edifying, authentic, and then transformative is the last thing. We want our worship to be transformative. Everything in our worship services. Um, and that that's, if you look at the beginning of Romans 12, um, it describes that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for it is our spiritual act of worship or our reasonable service. Yeah. So we're not there to conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renew of our minds that we are able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Right. Yeah. Uh, so our worship services should teach us that this means every time we come together, this is a life. This life is not our own, um, but these bodies are his to mold and shape into his likeness. So we want everything to be transformative. Um, and then there's one crucial element that we tend to overlook and rush through in our worship services. And I'm sure we can all. We all know what yeah. that is, right? That's communion. <laughs> yeah. Most of the time it's really rushed and it's, it's out of place. Um, but this is the table. This is where we come to eat. And so we want to make sure that all of, all three of those things are leading to that moment where we are, um, focusing in on King Jesus and what he's done for us and, and not in the most sobering aspect of all time, but just like, this is also a very, um, cel- celebratory time as well. Yeah. Um, so celebrating what God has done for us through Jesus. I absolutely love that. I, I, uh, that's one of the things that was every, every church is different. That's one of the things that was refreshing and good as I stepped into this new church, Kingsway Christian church about six months ago, seven months ago, seven months. Yeah. Seven months ago. Wow. Okay. Um, was how they practice communion. Mm -hmm. The other, the other church was a bigger church. So it was hard to get the communion elements to everybody. They passed them down the road and you just shot at them and moved on. Right. And it was your own prerogative to um, get your heart right and to pray and to whatever, to spiritualize the moment before and after and the three seconds during, but there's just so many people Yeah. here. It's a smaller church and there are stations every week and we all get up out of our seats. We participate in it by getting up and walking over to it. Um, we're in a line. We see everybody else in the church in line as as we're standing in line or or getting up and turning around and looking at everybody and and it's a lot more interactive. Mm-hmm. And then everybody's just trained to just sit there for a minute and pray right. and, and like come to come to Jesus and bring their hearts before Him like mm-hmm. in submission and reverence and whatever. They're just they just do it. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not a rushed thing, right? And uh, I get why it was at the other place, but it's so beautiful and refreshing to be at a place where it, where it seems so easy to do it like that. Um, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So everything that, I mean, that's, that's my general philosophy is that everything that we are doing leads to that moment at the table with Jesus. And so as long as we're teaching well, we're, we're being edifying, we're authentic and we're transformative, that's going to prepare the table well for yeah. us to eat together. Yeah. I love it. Um, these these have been examples of our worship ministry philosophies that we created just because we saw the need. But um, I think you can do a better job creating it. it. It would be a lot longer, I have to say. But you can do a better job creating it with this week's worship resource. Oh, man. Um, so this, like the second whole half of this chapter, may, maybe the last third, 
is a ton of questions Zach Hicks gives for you to be able to make your own worship ministry philosophy. And so our, our resource this week, if you have the book, you can just use the book. But our resource is from Zach Hicks' website, uh, is a link to his post, How to Develop Your Own Philosophy of Worship, um, where you can look through that and answer the questions he has there. Um, and and yeah, do this for yourself. We, we've spent however long we've been talking, trying to convince you that you need to do it. Um, and, and I desperately think that you should, and I'm probably going to go, uh, not probably, I'm definitely going to go in the next month or so and work with this. Right. Yeah. Reevaluate work on this with sure. some, um, awesome people at our church, but, uh, yeah. So we have it linked in the show notes. Yeah. It'll be in the show notes. Yep. Yeah. Um, it'll be somewhere in there. Um, but it's a link to that page. It's free. It's great. Um, it's going to be super useful. Here's a sneak peek. Um, this is straight from the book, though. So these are kinds of questions that he thinks you should answer to have a philosophy of worship um, for your church. So first, you're going to define worship. So he has three questions there. And these are kind of concentric circles. Mm-hmm. It's one big group, and then it goes down into smaller circles within right, that. So right. what is worship in general? Mm-hmm. What is the thing that every human being does, religious or not? to give their life to something. Mm-hmm. Um, then within that, what is specifically Christian worship? Mm-hmm. How, how do we as Christians give our lives to God and, and what does that look like? And then within that, what is gathered Christian worship? Cause he makes a good point in the book that um, a lot of worship ministry people, people who are like deep in the week to week church service planning, they will think what is worship? And all they'll think is what is gathered Christian worship? Mm-hmm. That's the extent of what they're thinking. A lot of like missions minded people will think, um, what is Christian worship and not think about the services as much? Mm-hmm. Um, or what is worship? How can I use that to understand the people I want to reach? But like having all three of these levels really helps you identify the differences between what is gathered Christian worship and what is Christian worship. Right. Um, the differences between the 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 few of those. Um, and then he has questions about form and content of gathered worship. I think these are all really important. What role does scripture play? I've hit on that, a, a, I think, a good amount. What role do Christian traditions play? Mm-hmm. Um, and you may think we're at, a, we're at a cutting edge new church or whatever. We do songs from the past 10 years, five years, three years. Um, no, no role. Christian tradition plays no role in it. Well, do you have a Christmas Eve service? Mm-hmm. Do you have an Easter service? then it plays a little bit of a part. Right. Like, unless you don't have those and you don't have, I don't know, and you don't like have different non-negotiables like communion in your, in your service, whether it's every week or once a month or once a quarter or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. There are things that are traditionally important, but it, it, you should definitely check yourself before you go into straight traditionalism, right? Like there's yeah. a, there's a oh, difference definitely. between the two of those. And so. that's why I think it's important to say, what role does Christian tradition play? Mm-hmm. The tradition of this local church, the tradition of the church through the centuries. Um, yeah. Yeah. Define that. So you don't just fall into, it has everything to do with how we do what we do today. Right. Um, what role does cultural context play? This is the question that I think is best asked. Um, for, for high churches, Lutheran Anglican mm-hmm. seems like no cultural context is in there sometimes <laughs> if you walk in as an outsider. Um, but also the 
the uh, church growth movement churches. Um, we need a specific target audience. That target audience is a 35 year old male named Larry and he loves Burger King and whatever. Like, I don't know who loves Burger King. Um, <laughs> if you love it, write a terrible review of our podcast and that'll get shared more. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, but like that, that's a lot of cultural context taking place in, mm -hmm. in, in, uh, determining the form and content of your worship services. Right. Um, what role does the Holy spirit play? Charismatic churches probably have a great answer to this. Baptist churches probably have a terrible answer to this or no answer. They could have a great answer, but they may not think about it. And I only say that out of personal experience of like the church I grew up in was not Baptist, but it was a very heady. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, I feel like I never heard about the Holy spirit ever in any sort of present tense. Um, Which is probably the most heady of conversations if you yeah. think about it. So. Well, it's abstract. It's yeah, not factual black true. and white. Okay. I see what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Um, okay. Form and content of gathered worship. Uh, should worship take on a specific structure or shape? Like, does the Bible say we need to do announcements first and then whatever? Um, does it give you any structure for that? If it's yes, how much so? If mm -hmm. it's no, then it's no. What elements of worship are non-negotiable? This is probably my favorite question. Is music non-negotiable? Um, is preaching non-negotiable? Mm -hmm. Is offering non-negotiable? That's a really great question. That is, yeah. Is uh, with with how much online giving there is today, is offering as an act of worship non-negotiable? That's mm. yeah, yeah. Um, and then like communion, is that non-negotiable? Right. Yeah. And then we have this third section, which is the expression of worship. And uh, so the first first question would be, how should mind, body, will, and emotion be expressed in worship? Yeah. And these are things that we probably don't consider a lot of the time. Um, unless it might, you know, maybe in a more charismatic tradition, um, or if you're a more mindful tradition, because the mindfulness is a big thing right now in yeah. a lot of, a lot of yeah. traditions. So, um, so yeah, how is that expressed in, in your gathered worship? Um, what is the acceptable scope range and balance of human expression in worship? If you raise your hands, our right. snipers in the balcony will shoot them. Right. Yeah. And like, are you carrying the big screen TV or... <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Who's that guy? Is it some comedian? Oh, uh, John Acuff. Is that his name? It's the book Stuff Christians Like from 2010. He has that in there, but it's also on his blog. I don't know. Anyway, that was funny. <laughs> I love it. Uh that's yeah. our other worship ministry resource. Yeah, there we go. Not really. Find out how to to praise Jesus. Yeah. Anyways, what roles do music and singing play in gathered worship? That's uh, another question yeah. he throws in there, and that, that that's an important question. Um, how is worship's expression relative to one's cultural context? Yeah. And how does the fact that the universal church transcends cultures, times, and nations inform worship in any one local church? This last question, I think, is honestly <laughs> the most daunting. Right? It feels like all the other questions were like, like you're, you're watching a movie and it's just space. And then this question comes along and it's the opening to a new hope right. star Wars where the death star <laughs> is just like looming over and seemingly never ending. And like, Oh my gosh, it's a, it's a funny question, but it's uh, at the, at the beginning. But how does the fact that the universal church transcends cultures, times and nations inform worship in any one local church? Some of the questions you can ask from this are like, do we recognize the international church mm -hmm. in our worship gatherings? Like how much is international missions a focus mm -hmm. or international like social justice 
missions a focus? Right. How much are persecuted Christians across the world a focus? Yeah, are we praying for um, the world? Yeah, yeah. that's huge. Um, uh, times, like, do you only quote people from the past 50 years or do you quote Martin Luther in your sermons or, mm-hmm. or use prayers from the past or whatever? Or and do then, you only quote C.S. Lewis and Jesus? Yeah, the two other members of the Godhead with the Father. Right. Kidding. Um, but yeah, and then and then the other nation's question is like, every time you want to have that question about, should we have the American flag on stage? Yeah. How does the fact that the universal church transcends cultures, times, and nations mm-hmm. inform worship in any one local church? That's a, that's a question you have to ask. The church isn't only in America. Mm-hmm. So other places, honestly, I think the biggest church in the world is in South Korea. It's like what 60, 70,000 people mm. in one church. It's amazing. Anyway, wow. I've never been there, but I want to go. That's a vacation. That's a, that's a nerdy worship minister vacation <laughs> one of these days. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's all, these are super important questions. Right, and that's I think, just a start to all the questions. So <laughs> yeah, all of those that we mentioned have sub questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, having a worship ministry philosophy that covers that ground will help you answer the, the issues that could come up in respect to your worship ministry. Like I want you to do these eight songs or else, mm-hmm. or God told me to be a part of the worship ministry, or uh, I have a kid who's a student in my class and he loves playing the drums, but he's not a Christian. Can he be on your worship team? Those kind of questions that are just harder to answer something, a, a philosophy of worship like this can help inform the answers to those questions better than my like one sentence right thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Zach, he, he has a quote here at the end. Um, I think it'd be a good, good way to kind of wrap up uh, our time today, but he says that we can fail our philosophy in two ways. So um, just some warnings here. Um, The first is that we can develop a philosophy of worship and never use it. And you kind of touched on this a little earlier. Um, but yeah, like what's the point of developing a philosophy if you're just going to let it sit there on the shelf and never be used again, right? Like we need to actually allow this to to be informative to the way that we do things. Um, and yeah, um, but we can also fail when we use it carelessly. Yeah. So we can also use this as just, he says, like an anvil without carefully and prayerfully applying and translating it to real people in real situations, just swinging it around, right? Yeah. Um, which is, which is also a danger. Um, so we need to make sure that we are prayerfully and carefully applying and translating it to real people in real situations. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that I love. And I think we quoted him earlier saying that like, uh, a philosophy of ministry is better created in a community mm-hmm. of God's people right. than what was his wording in a, in a locked theological laboratory yes. with your Bible and some books. <laughs> I was like, Ooh, that hurts. Right. <laughs> but, but seriously though, like it is worship is a connection between you, including your culture and, and, and your community and all those things and, and God. And mm-hmm. So I didn't think I was going to reference this, but I'm going to do it. So John Stott mm. uh, had a book on preaching called between two worlds and basically the the premise is that there's a world where God is and there's a world of like the ancient church and all these manuscripts and being a nerd about all that stuff. And there's the world these people are coming into your church with. And what he's trying to do in preaching is relate um, these two worlds to be the bridge between these two worlds, help take people who 
um, have been farming wheat all week think about God in deep ways that they wouldn't have access to, mm-hmm. um, be taught about how to relate to God in um, better ways than, than they'd been doing before from right. this other world, almost like Narnia. Like, like there's the real world, there's the Narnia world, and he is the wardrobe mm. where you pass through the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for a lot of us, we, that's, that's worship ministry. That is trying to translate and, and, uh, and bring people from their world into this other world, um, where they think about God, where right. they, cause they may not through their whole week. Um, and so it's a valuable thing that needs to be guarded and thought through carefully, not, not, not flippantly and carelessly. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's good. So it's important. Well, yeah, thanks again for uh, hanging out with us today and talking about the worship pastor as doxological philosopher. Hopefully you have a better understanding of what that means and how that can really influence your ministry moving forward. Uh, join us in a couple of weeks when we jump into chapter four, right? Or chapter, chapter four. Three. Chapter four, uh, worship pastor as disciple maker. Yeah, okay. so this will be the fifth one, but it's chapter four. Okay, chapter four, yeah. worship minister as disciple maker, which... Uh, both Ryan and I are worship and discipleship ministers. Yeah. As that, of this week. As of this week. Yeah. And well, I really, honestly, yeah, I, I yeah. just got moved into a new role as, uh, as our small groups, discipleship minister. So, yeah. So please uh, join us for that. But yeah. also if you have any stories of um, ways that you have seen disciples made and, and emboldened in your own ministry, whether you're a worship minister or not, um, if you if you have stories of that, please send them to us yes. at podcast at respondworship.org. You did that way better than I did earlier. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm a champ. Yeah. Um, Eventually, we'll say it with more confidence. Yeah. But it is podcast at respondworship.org. Yeah. Send us uh, your stories of people ha- having their discipleship impacted uh, yes. by worship ministry or whatever. Um, again, you can write them or record them. We love either. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you later. Thank you for listening to the Respond Worship Podcast. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to our website and social media. Follow and subscribe to keep up with new episodes and feel free to rate and review us. We want this to be the best possible resource for you and your team, so your feedback is extremely important. We also want to hear from you. Send us your questions, content suggestions, ministry wins, and stories, and we will gladly consider them for future episodes. Just email us at podcast at respondworship.org. That's podcast at respondworship.org. We look forward to welcoming you into another conversation in a couple of weeks. Take care.